And you may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, that we have the time to gather here together. We pray that as we open uh, your word that you would speak clearly to us. We, we confess as we do this each week. Uh, we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would bring us into all truth. I pray that you would uh, convict our hearts where we need convicting, but then that, uh, the work of your spirit, as you tells us, comes and points us more fully to Jesus and what he's done for us. And so we ask that you would do that this morning as we spend time in your word. Uh, I thank you that we have uh, the freedom to gather together. We thank you for another year. We thank you for your many blessings. We pray that you would be uh, glorified with everything that is done and said here this morning. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, like to begin just, uh, I think about 2017. Uh, actually, it's not that often that we actually get together on the day it changes, but here to be here on New Year's Day. And just thinking about, uh, I want you to think about this question as we begin. Are you where, are you, where you want to be at this point in your life? Uh, just big picture. I want you to think of this, maybe give you a couple different headings to think about it. But are you where you want to be in your life right now? If you kind of, uh, let's say broad categories of, uh, your vocation or your job, what you spend your time doing, is that where you want to be in that? You enjoy it? you like it? Is that good? Is it fulfilling? Is that where you feel like God's placed you? Is that where you want to be? Or the relationships in your life that God has in front of you, friends, family, spouse, loved ones, those things, are those in a good place and a healthy standing? Are your relationships in a good place? Uh, maybe just thinking about your own health. Uh, are you eating the way you want to eat and exercising and doing those things? It seems like the beginning of the year, there's always that, like, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to work out. I'm going to I'm going to improve on that. And then lastly, and most importantly, is your relationship with God where you would like it to be? You feel like uh, as you think about those broad categories, how would you I don't want to say rate yourself, but just take stock on where you are in your life as you look at those things. What would you say? Uh, maybe you'd say I, I'm doing really well in three of the four. My relationships are great. My job's great. And I'm killing it here. But maybe uh, I need to eat better. Or, or maybe you'd say uh, my relationship with God's not exactly where I want it to be. Or, I can't answer that for you, but I want you to at least consider that to this morning where you're struggling, where you're doing really well, where you would like to see improvement. You know, we get to the beginning of the year and we often make New Year's resolutions. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better in these areas. And so I want you just to think about that a little bit this morning, kind of take stock of that. And then we're going to open God's word together. And I think what God says to us is going to give us some very, very practical help for that big picture. How do we do that better? How do we make this next year everything that God calls us to be in it? And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at Haggai chapter one. Right? Everybody's favorite book of the Bible Haggai, right? Like it, it's okay. Uh, before Dan told you uh, the the page number, who started to turn to the table of contents? Like Haggai, where is that exact? Right? Probably there's probably somebody, and it's okay. You don't have to admit it, but somebody went. Is that a book in the Bible? I, I guarantee you. I was actually talking to my neighbor about my sermon yesterday, and he's like, "Well, what are you preaching on Haggai?" He was like, "What's Haggai?" I mean, that's really what he said. He just said, like, I don't I'm not even sure what that is. And so part of that is Haggai is what we call a minor prophet. You could, you could break down the Old Testament like this. The first five books of the Bible we often refer to as the law, Torah, 
or, or we say um, the Pentateuch the, means five books, the first five books. Uh, so the law and then we have the history that the unfolding of Israel's history after that. Then we get to the middle of the Bible and we have Psalms and Proverbs, what we call uh, wisdom literature, or poetry books. And then we get after that to the prophets. And it's, we have major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. And then we have all these little books, the minor prophets. They wrote less, they're minor, not and their message was less important. They just wrote less. And so oftentimes we get to those minor prophets and I think they become very unfamiliar or it becomes kind of hard, it becomes heavy sledding when you start to read through some of the prophetic books, because a lot of times we're not real familiar with the context they're speaking to. And they say some things and they talk about nations and they talk about things that are happening. And it's like, what in the world is going on? And we can get lost in there. And so a lot of times I think what happens is we kind of get to the minor prophets and we go, oh, I'll just skim over that real quick. <laughs> I'm going to spend my time in the Gospels or, or in Psalms or, or, or Genesis. And I kind of know what's going on. And I kind of know the lay of the land. And so we kind of skim through the minor prophets in particular. But there's a lot of really important things that God gives them to say. And, and what we're going to look at this morning and what Haggai says to the people he's speaking to, I would just submit to you, is very vitally relevant for us today. Very relevant, especially as we come to the beginning of a year and we begin to consider what that looks like for this next year. And so we're going to look at Haggai and I want to give you context because I know a lot of times when we get to the prophets, especially the minor prophets are kind of unknown uh, at best, kind of fuzzy. Like what exactly is going on here? And so real quickly, about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, just history of Israel and where we are. If we go back, if you were with us last year, we did Genesis we get at the beginning of Genesis that God calls Abraham and then Isaac and then his son Jacob. And he begins to form a people. And God says, I'm going to show the world. I'm going to bless the world through this people. Uh, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. And out of that grows this nation of Israel. And as we get to the end of the Pentateuch, the law, the Torah, those first five books, we start to see the history of Israel unfold. And we see them grow into this great nation. And so you go from one man to by the time we get to Kings and Chronicles under David and then Solomon, Israel becomes the greatest nation on the planet. They're the greatest nation. They have the most wealth. They're well known. They've conquered a lot. They're in control. And then after Solomon, his kids are a mess and the nation breaks in two. And then from then on, those two nations, uh, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, don't follow God. Intermittently, there's some some revival in there, but for the most part, they don't follow God. And so God sends all these prophets into that. And what ends up happening is the north Israel gets taken out by the Assyrians and then Judah in the south gets taken out by the Babylonians and they're both obliterated. And you get to after that, the Persians take over and they allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem and begin to rekindle who they were as a people. And that's where we are as we open the book of Haggai. What had happened is they get destroyed by the Babylonians, Persians, let them return. That happens around 539 B.C. When we open the book of Haggai, we're sitting at 520. And so they've been back for almost 20 years. And when they got the, the uh, OK to return, the great king at the time, Cyrus, said, not only can you go back, you can rebuild the temple. They got permission and he said, you can rebuild the temple and I'll even give you the resources to do it. And so they have money. They have the opportunity. They come back. And as we open Haggai, it's been 20 years. 
The foundation has been laid, but nothing's happened beyond the foundation. That's it. So here they are sitting for 20 years. They haven't rebuilt the temple. They're kind of limping along and struggling. And so God sends Haggai into this uh, scenario. And this is where he speaks. And this is where he begins to give this message that we're going to look at today. And the truth is what we see with the people of Israel is they've returned and God's taken care of them. And he's brought them back and he's put them in this place. And it didn't take very long for spiritual apathy to set in. And so Haggai comes and speaks into it. And I'd say what he says here is vitally relevant for us today. And so here's the way I want us to look at Haggai chapter one is first, there's a problem that God's going to expose in what he says here. They have a problem and he's going to expose it. Secondly, he's going to tell them the answer. And then lastly, if you look closely, you're even going to see how you begin to live that out. His answer that he gives us. So there's a problem and an answer and then almost a how to. And so let's look at Haggai chapter one together, beginning. uh, Let's pick up in verse two. So God speaks, thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house talking about God's temple lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. And so I want you just to see the the picture here of what God says to him. They're sitting there with a temple in ruins But everybody's busy working on all their own stuff. And they're doing pretty good at that. And so God speaks into that. And I want you just to remember as we think about the temple and what it meant to Israel. It was the very center of God's presence dwelling with the people. It was the center of their worship. It was how they approached the holy God as a sinful people. It was the very center of everything they were as a people. God God is the center of that, but the picture of the temple and God dwelling there, them coming to that place was the center of showing the world what God was like, which is what they were called to do as a people. But yet they move back into their place and they go to work on their own houses. In fact, it tells us if you look at verse four, it says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? Why this house lies in ruins, paneled Houses, what he's saying is like you got really nice houses. You spend a lot of time to make sure all your stuff is in order and your house looks great and you're really comfortable. But yet the temple lies in ruins. And so the problem that's here, the way that God is speaking to them and what he's exposing is simply this. Their priorities are all wrong. They've decided to spend all this time on their own personal uh, uh, luxury and house and these things, making them really nice and really great. And the whole time neglecting God's temple. And he says, your priorities are wrong. And so I want you just to think about that picture uh, of what God says over and over throughout Scripture. He calls us to love the Lord, your God, with your heart, soul, mind and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Summarize throughout the scriptures. We see that in the Old Testament. We see Jesus say we can summarize all the laws that God gives us in this way. And here what you have is, is they're loving themselves and their own houses and their own stuff. 
And God's temple sits in ruins. They've reversed it. They they switched the priorities in the way that God calls us to live, and they've done it upside down. They're backwards. And he calls them to that. He calls them out, and he says, what's going on? You say you don't have time. It's not the time yet to rebuild my temple. You don't have the time to do this, but yet your houses look great. And so the problem here is, is one of priority. And so as I think about that and as I read that, I was reading through Haggai just in a Bible reading plan a couple of weeks ago. And I kept reading this chapter over and over. It's like, man, this is so where we are in our culture today. Our priorities are all wrong. I want you just to think about this. I want to paint a picture just from a couple stats that I read this past week as I was thinking about this. Uh, this one was a, a survey based on Christians who are part of a regular church, who would say they're committed and in a church. And this is statistics of how often we read our Bible. And so this is, this is what they came up with. 19% of committed members of a church, believing believers, uh, read their Bible. Uh, 19% read it daily. Uh, 14% read it once a week. 22% read it once a month. And 18% never read their Bible. Now, now, that's not the society as a whole. That's people who would say they're Bible-believing Christians that are committed to a body. And so when you start to look at those statistics, over half of people who, who claim to be Christians don't read their Bible more than once a month. I start to go, whoa. Now, looking at others, totally, this is not the church. This is just our society in general. But it, it makes an interesting contrast. As a society in general... We use social media 118 minutes a day. Not a week, not a month, daily. We spend 118 minutes on social media, yet Bible-believing, professing Christians, half of them don't read their Bible more than once a month. Would you say what God's saying to Haggai about our priorities would apply to our culture today? Maybe. Maybe. Or I started to read about uh, when we gather together. This is, again, committed members of a church. I'm committed. I'm here. I see this as valuable. It's important. I'm believing Christian. 19% of committed members of a church come each week to a worship gathering. Come weekly. 19%. As a, as a whole. Super committed members, on average, come twice a month. Yet the average American watches TV for five hours and four minutes a day. Five hours a day. And so I think about what God says here. And he says uh, that the people say they don't have time to rebuild the temple. They don't have time to do it. I run into people a lot that say that I want to read my Bible more. I want to study. I want to do that. I just don't have time. I'm, I'm going to be real honest. I've yet to meet the person who doesn't actually have time to do it. I'm not saying there's not one. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But most people who say I don't have the time mean <laughs> I've got the priority of two hours on social media and my four hours of TV. So I don't have time to read my Bible. And, and I would say to you, I think this fits exactly what he's saying to us today. And so I just would ask the question, maybe those statistics don't apply to you at all. 
They, they may not. And I'm not I'm not suggesting they do to you personally. That's something you need to think through. How do I spend my time? What are my priorities? What do they look like? But I would just suggest to you, we, we just sat here together, stood and sang, I surrender all to my blessed Savior, to you. I surrender. I surrender all. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that God is the most important thing in your life? And so my question to you would be, do if we were to take an audit of what you spend your time and your energy and your focus and your thought life on, would your life bear that out? Only you can answer that. I'm not suggesting it doesn't. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. As I read this over and over, I kept asking that question of myself. What if you went back the last year and you looked at uh, your conversations? If you had a transcript of everything you said in your life, what do you think the top five topics you would have talked about last year would be? I'm just curious. I started trying to think about that. Man, I think football would probably be way up there, right? Like for me, music, like different things that I, you know, I don't know what that would be for you, but would it bear out in your life that your priority is who God is and making him known and glorifying him? Would that bear itself out or not? And so I think when we stop and think in that way, suddenly this uh, word that God gives to the prophet Haggai is very vitally relevant to us. And so there's a second part of this problem, though. The problem there is one of priorities. But then there's a second part. Look at what he says in verse six. He says, you've sown much. You've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, but he puts them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up on the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. And so God says, I have brought a certain amount of futility on his people here because he's not the priority. And we can hear that and go, whoa, seems kind of rough. Like it says they're struggling to make ends meet. There's frustration. All the things that they're putting their time and their energy and their focus is kind of coming up empty. And God says it's because I blew it away. He actually says that. And I want you to think about this for a second. The, the problem that he's revealing and showing them is when our priorities are wrong and we begin to put our energy and focus into things that can't ultimately satisfy us. They're not ultimately going to satisfy us. And I take it a step further and say, when God says I blew those away, that that is God's grace. That he's showing us. That when we put all our time and our energy and our focus on things that can't ultimately satisfy, that it is his graciousness to allow us to see that they can't satisfy. He says, I blew them away. I wanted to reveal to you that these things will never complete you. They will never ultimately bring you joy and security and happiness and the things that you think they're going to do. It's not going to happen. And so he removes them. He blows them away. And I would say to you that in our own lives, when we do the same thing, we struggle and we limp along because we take what God tells us. Love the Lord, your God, with your heart, soul, mind and strength. And we go, I don't really need to do that. 
and I'm going to do all these other things. And then we struggle. We struggle with peace. We struggle with having the joy of the Lord in all things. We struggle and limp along in different ways. And and, and the reason is, is we've inverted everything God's told us. Romans tells us that God's built that futility into his creation because he's loving. That there's a futility with when we continue to operate in ways he hasn't told us. And it's partly what he does with Israel. He gets their attention by doing so. And that is his grace. That is his mercy to call us back. And so I want you to think about the things that Jesus tells us. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. You know the passage? Come to me, all you that are just struggling. And then what does he say? Does he say, and I will show you how to live the abundant life through endless entertainment. But that's the way we operate. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will show you how to get your self-worth through social media. He says, you come to me, to Jesus, to him, and I will give you rest. He says, when you make me the center of everything, that's where you'll find rest. And yet what we do is we go, oh, okay, that's what it says. Now I'm going to watch TV for four hours. I mean, so the truth is the problem that we see here is our priorities are wrong and we're putting our hope and our energy and our focus and things that cannot satisfy us. And that's exactly what they were doing here. And so God sends Haggai and he steps in and he tells them that. But then look at what God says the answer is or what he tells them. Go back to verse five. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, I want you to stop and think about what you're doing. And, and so that's why I started with asking that question of where are you in those areas? How would you say you're doing in those different areas? When you take stock on where your priorities are and where you spend time, what does that look like? Consider your ways. If someone took an audit of your life, what's most important in your life? And the truth is, whatever that is. The things that you put as most valuable, where you invest all your time, where you set your energy and focus on and you make it central in your life. That is the fruit that you're going to bear. And so if you seek happiness and joy through endless entertainment, guess what's going to happen? You're never going to fully have happiness and joy because endless entertainment cannot do that. It's not going to happen. And so God says, I want you to consider your ways. He says it again in verse seven, consider your ways. But then look at what he says in verse eight, go up to the hills and bring the wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying you've done all these other things. Now you come and you build my temple and you put it at the center and you put your energy and focus on me and put it at the the center. And the answer he gives us is make me your priority. Consider your ways and how this is working for you. That's what he says. You've done it this way for the last 20 years and you don't have enough and you're hungry and you don't have drink and you're frustrated and you're struggling. So consider your ways and then try this. Make me the sinner. And that's what he tells them to do. And he tells them that's the picture. And so where we set our energy and our focus and our attention is where we're going to see the fruit borne out. 
you know this. And pretty much anything in your life, what happens when you eat really well and you exercise? You lose weight, you feel better, you have more energy, right? Does anybody dispute that? But then we go, ah, but I'd rather eat this cake and then sit on the couch. Why am I so miserable? (laughs) Why am I overweight? (laughs) Why do I get out of breath? Well, I know why, because I put my energy and attention and focus on these things that bear that out. And so God says, consider your ways and make me the sinner. And so if you're struggling with peace and joy and resting, you're struggling with self-image. What do people think of me? Set your focus on who God is and who he says you are instead of what social media says. There's a fruit that comes out of that, that gets born out of that when we make God the center of everything he tells us. And so the answer here is real simple. Make him a priority in your life. Make God the center of everything you do. Start there. He is the creator. He is the one that holds all things together. You are made in his image. That's why this message that he gives to Haggai is so vitally relevant for those people and for us today, because they're no different than we are. They're made in God's image to have him at the center of their life and to trust him and make him the center of their focus and then to live out of that. And they're struggling because they're not doing it, just like we're struggling because we're not doing it. And so the answer is simple. He says, make me the center. So here's the question I want us to end with is, how do you do that? Where do we start? Well, look at what he tells them. Right. So the word comes to them, picking up in the uh, end of verse 12 there. It says they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And he says, I am with you declares the Lord and the Lord stirred up the spirit. So he stirred up the spirit of of the high priest. He stirred up the spirit of the governor. He stirred up the spirit of Haggai and then he stirred up the spirit of the people. And I want you to think about the way that happened. What he says happened there. It started with they heard God's word. It says they heard the word of the Lord. They obeyed it and they heard it. They heard God speak through Haggai, the prophet. And so when we read this book, God spoke through Haggai and it got written down for us. And so when we hear it today and God says, consider your ways and make me the center of your life. God is speaking today in the same way he was, same way he was then. It's still his word. And he's still speaking. And he says, consider your ways and make me the center of it. And so the first part of it is hearing God's word. And believing it says they obeyed it. They went, okay. they heard it and they believed it. And they started to listen to what God says. And so I have to tell you, when when I read statistics that say 19 percent of Christians read their Bible daily. And then I see how God changes and does this by people hearing God's word. And we never even open it. There's a problem. And so it starts from hearing God's word. And I don't mean just coming here and hearing a sermon and then, okay, that'll carry me through the week. It's daily seeking God's face and hearing his word. 
And so you open his word and you seek him. But then the next part is it says they begin to fear the Lord. And do you see that? And the people feared the Lord. The end of verse 12. Fear of the Lord means an awe of who God is. It's not hiding in the corner, cowering, afraid. It's being overwhelmed that this is the creator God of the universe that holds me together by the power of his word. And I exist because he says so. And he is the center of all things. And I'm going to tell you, when you start to see that and it says they feared the Lord, the beginning of this chapter, it's apathy. They've been sitting there with the temple in ruins, going along about their business, doing all these other things. But then God speaks and they go from apathy to awe. Look at who we're hearing from. Look at who is talking to us. Listen to what he's saying. And they feared. And it says when they feared, the very next thing is God gives the message to Haggai, the prophet. I am with you. I want you to think about how that works. It's not because they stopped and they listened and they did some things and then God says, "Okay, you've done enough. So now I'll come be with you. Oftentimes, that's the way we think of it. That's the way our heart wants to make it. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to hear this sermon and I guarantee you half, at least half the people in the way in here are going to hear it this way. Okay, he just said, I need to read my Bible. I need to go to church. I need to work really hard. I need to do these things. And then God's going to bless me. Then God will show up and be with me and then he'll be pleased with me. If you hear that, that's not it. Please know that's not it. That's not the case. The the truth is God's with you. Because of what he's done in Christ and you put your faith in him, he loves you completely and totally and fully already. And he's well pleased with you because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. By grace, through faith, you have been saved and there's no other way. And he loves you. But, but the truth is, oftentimes there he stands with us each day in his presence, in the spirit, with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us, never going away. And we're too busy doing other things to even listen to him. And so he says, you hear the word of the Lord and this fear comes, this all comes. And then you realize he's been with you the whole time. He hasn't left you. It's not like you go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Would you please come back? And he goes, "Okay, I'll come back. He's been there the whole time. He's going, please, I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to spend time with me. And so you see them hear God's word and they go from apathy to this awe of who God is. And then they see that he's with them. He tells them, I'm with you. And then this amazing thing happens. He stirs up their spirit and they begin to go to work for God's glory to make him the center. And he begins to do these amazing things. And I think we say all the time, oh, I pray for revival for our land. Our country is a mess. I'd love to see this happen. I'd love to see that happen. And Peter, it talks about, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. It talks about. Revival starting in the house of the Lord. It's going to start when we as a people long for his faith. 
and we open his word and we beg to see him more clearly and we spend the time and we make our priorities him. And it's not that he wasn't there before, but then we become aware of how he's moving and working in all these ways. And then we get overwhelmed with what God's doing. We reap the fruit of where we place our priorities. And it's a very, very simple, straightforward picture here. Where are your priorities? What do you want to see in this year? Do you want to see God's name glorified? Do you want to see the spirit move in ways that you have no explanation for what's happening other than God is doing this? I do. I want to be blown away. That there's no place to go other than God has to be the one doing this. And so I would just ask you to do exactly what God says. Hear God's word. Consider your ways. Make him the center of your life. Now, that can be a great, big, huge. There you go. Now, I want to give you a very, very practical way to do that. Would you commit to reading your Bible every day? If you're not doing it, if you're the 18% that never reads your Bible, if you're the 22% that maybe cracks it once a month, start with five minutes. Don't say I'm going to go read all of Leviticus tomorrow and buy a bunch of commentaries and study it all and figure it all out. Just start. Start with a few verses. Make it even simpler than that. Spend a minute praying Say, God, as I open your word, would you meet me in this and would you show me? And then you open God's word and you read it and you write down what he shows you and then you obey it. You do it. What he's showing you, you go, okay. Could you do that? Takes three weeks to make a habit out of anything. So if you spend five minutes every day, I don't care if it's first thing in the morning or last thing at night or at your lunch, but make it consistent. And begin to do it. And do it not because you're seeking that God would be pleased with you. God's already pleased with you in Jesus. It's because we want to spend time with our creator, savior, redeemer, who will bring us the greatest joy and rest and peace that we can't find anywhere else. There's some uh, Bible reading plans as you go out and on the right. There's several different ones. There's some that are more... uh, Maybe a little harder, you know, reading several chapters a day. Some of them are just reading a little bit every day. Some of them are reading through the Gospels in a year. Some of them are reading through the whole Bible twice or one time. Or diff- There's a whole bunch of different ones. If you're technologically savvy, get an app on your phone. It'll set up reminders. It'll pop up and tell you what to read. But begin to put those things into practice. Make God a priority. And he will meet you in that. He will show you that he's with you. He will walk with you in the midst of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the glorious good news of your word. I thank you uh, that what you've written uh, through the prophet Haggai some 2,500 years ago is still as relevant today for us. 
I pray that you would help us to consider our ways. I pray for each person here today that hears your word. I pray that no one would leave here beat up. That no one would leave here frustrated or upset that, man, I'm not measuring up. But they would leave here resting in your goodness. Resting in your grace. That you love us, that you care about us, that you meet us right where we are. I pray that we'd be greatly encouraged. And I pray that each person here, I pray that you would give us a heart to seek you daily. And that as you tell us that you would, you promise us that you will meet us in the midst of that. We pray for this year that we would make you a priority and that we'd see amazing things of what you're doing. Above and beyond anything that we can do in our strength that you would meet us in the midst of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.